1 John 5.13 in your Bibles and stand with me if you can. 1 John 5.13. The Maranatha students and some folks from Greendale Baptist Church heard an abbreviated uh, testimony of mine a while back, and they've all been hitting me up this week to go ahead and start off tonight with my testimony. And I, I prayed, and that seemed to uh, bring honor and glory to God, and let's pray that God would use that tonight. 1 John 5.13, this was my life verse. You know, as I got older, isn't it funny how God changes life verses? Uh, you know, I got two life verses, but I love this verse right here. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful for the Son of God. We're thankful tonight that we can congregate in Christ's name. Uh, dear God, we're thankful that still we can meet and worship you. And Lord, we love you. You've been so good to us. We're thankful for these veterans tonight. We're thankful for every person, these patriotic people who love you, Lord. We're hopeful, Lord. We pray that each person has a special need that will be met this weekend, Lord. You know our hearts. You know our needs. We pray, dear God, that you would use this time. Uh, Lord, that you would use this week to reach down and touch people. Lord, also, would you use this week to help us to make friends that would last a lifetime? Oh, dear God, I pray that we can be friendly to, towards one another. And, dear God, perhaps we can make friendships that would bring you honor and glory. Lord, we love you so much, but we do, Lord, we beg you, if there's one here who's not saved or not sure of their salvation, Lord, we beg you that tonight would be their night of salvation. We pray, dear God, that none here would ever see the gates of hell. Oh, dear God, we pray that you'd be with each and every one of us. Work on hearts, dear God. We love you so much. We need you in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Don't you love that verse? Don't you love that verse? These things have I written unto you. This whole Bible was written to us. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. God wrote a book for me. I mean, I'm just Doug from Voluntown, Connecticut. Who's been to Voluntown, Connecticut? Oh, Tim says, I've been there. I grew up uh, about eight miles up the road from there. Debbie says, I've been there. I married you. Uh, anyone else been to Voluntown? Let me tell you, Voluntown, Connecticut, when people think about Connecticut, they think of New York City and a suburb and different things like that. Voluntown, Connecticut was a metropolis of about 900 people when I grew up. It has a state forest in the area of about 64,000 acres. It has, it has nine lakes in our town capped off by the two biggest lakes, Beach Pond, which is a little bit bigger out here than this lake out here, uh, Green Falls and things of that nature, and it was probably the greatest place in the world for a kid to grow up if you didn't want to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No one ever came out and knocked on our doors. We didn't even have Jehovah's Witnesses in Voluntown, Connecticut. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, the only chance we had is in the summertime, our, our little town would grow from about 900 people to about 5,000. And if anything happened in town, people would look toward the ground and say, it's the tourist's fault. Everything was the tourist's fault. Man, those tourists came to town. If there's a, hey, Pastor Gingerella's the same way up there in Westerly. Uh, when summer comes, everything's the tourist's fault. You can walk in, you can walk up to him right now, and he can say, there's a bad accident on Route 2, and I'd go to the tourist, he'd go, yep, it's the tourist. Uh, but it was just a little piece of heaven. Now, I was, my dad was a World War II veteran, just big guy was a World War II veteran. He had served right at the end of World War II, didn't see much action there. Then about the time the Korean War had come along, uh, he got called to active duty or something. I'm not sure. And uh, by the time we had come along, I was the sixth kid born and the fifth one living. Now, my mother was a nun. You heard that right. 
Mom wasn't, how many people can say my mom was a nun? Anyone else here can say my mom was a nun? Anybody in the back row say my mom? You know, it just doesn't happen anymore, you know? But anyway, mom was a nun. She was the great, you know, everybody thinks their mom is the greatest person on the whole earth, don't they? And uh, my mom really was. And uh, mom was a great lady. And uh, she went through Putnam Catholic Academy. All her life, she was training to be a nun. When she graduated from high school, she really slammed her SATs. And they brought her up to Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. She got up to Yale University, and they put her in the convent and the college at the same time. So they were training her to be an English teacher. Now, mom's handwriting growing up was the best handwriting I've ever seen. When I'd get a letter in the Army with mom's handwriting on it, it changed everything. I could pick out that. I could look on my first sergeant's desk and see that handwriting, and I'd want to go over and get it, but they wouldn't let you, brother. You couldn't pick it up until they gave it to you. I mean, it was trouble there. So I would stare at that letter until somebody would hand it to me. But I'm telling you, Mom was a great lady. Now, Mom made it through her junior year of college. And one night, she played basketball. Now, everybody in my family are Amazon people. We're all big people. My sisters can whip most men in the United States of America. Uh, 90 to 95% of all men, they can beat you up. You just got to give it up and let it go. They really can. And uh, they beat me. I mean, uh, we, had a, uh, we had a chain of command in our house, and it went from the oldest to the youngest. And, and, uh, uh, and if you were the youngest, you just got beat all the time. I mean, you either did the jobs, or you got, they were judicious about it. If you did everything and didn't complain and didn't turn them into your mom, you were okay. But if you did anything outside of that, they just beat the snot out of you. Well, anyway, my mom, uh, who had to be big as well, so my dad was this guy about six foot three inches tall, about 220 pounds. Uh, he was an engineer uh, by trade. My mom, who was studying to be a nun, one night she was in the convent. She was in her room, and a drunk priest came up to her room. And uh, he knocked on the door. She opened up the door. He tried to have his way with mom, and mom cleaned him up. Uh, you'll be glad to know that this priest had broken bones, broken ribs, a broken nose. She threw him down the stairs. Yeah. Us Carragers have been fighting people all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And... Uh, she, threw, she cleaned him up, and they, they called her priest and said she had an attitude problem. Come and get her. And he did. So school ended for mom. It just wasn't easy to transfer colleges back then. And uh, they came and picked her up, and she met this uh, World War II veteran who was hanging around, and, and they got married, and from that they had kids. My earliest memories as a kid, we lived in a little town in Connecticut. My earliest memories that I can think of date back, unfortunately, to my father dragging my mother down the hallway by her hair and kicking and beating her. Folks, I can remember being about three years old. I can remember my older brother, who was three years older than me, trying to fist fight my father to stop it and being thrown across the room. It's no way to live like that. That's not life, folks. I can remember my sisters. I can, I can remember life being upside down. Then all of a sudden, one day, I came home, and the world was quiet. It's like somebody shut everything off. And we weren't looking for a car to pull in the driveway. Uh, I can remember I'd come home from kindergarten and uh, or first grade, and we, we were there was no car in the driveway. We weren't worried about the car pulling in, what kind of attitude Dad was going to have. We were just, nobody was there. And uh, we came in, and, and, and Mom said, your father left us. And no one really cared. And uh, I remember about a week went by, and we went down, and we, we got some of that welfare cheese and stuff, and we came home, and Mom wasn't one to get state money or welfare and back then, and uh, we came home one day, and we had a meeting after about seven days, and she brought us all into the living room, and she said, the welfare is over, 
The free cheese is up. We were glad about that free. That free cheese will mess you up. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> you will burp that cheese three days later. All right? Uh, oh, I remember we, uh, she brought us all in the living room and she said, listen, I got a job as a bus driver in the morning and in the afternoon, and all you kids are going to get in the bus with me in the morning, and you're going to go to school. And all you kids will be drove home by me in the afternoon, and then I'm going to go to my second job, which was working at a mill second shift. I can remember that. And she put my older sister, the worst thing you can do is put my oldest sister, Deborah, in charge of the child. So she told Deborah, she gave her a budget and said, you need to make sandwiches. For the, we had shamewiches at school. They weren't sandwiches. They were shameful. They were, she would, my sister Deborah at the beginning of the week would pull out a loaf of whatever the uh, store brand uh, bread was at that time. Remember loaves were about that long? You remember bags of cereal that looked like puff wheat? And they cost 12 cents. And kids would come over and go, that's not Cheerios. And, you know, we, we had that kind of food. Well, anyway, my sister Deborah, yeah, it, it wasn't good stuff. No one in the house had a problem with weight. No one needed Nutrisystem. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't any high cholesterol problems. I mean, things like that didn't go on back then. And I can remember we, my sister laying down and she'd have a whole, whole cupboard, the whole counter, was filled with a piece of bread, and she'd put peanut butter on it. And then she'd put jelly on top, and then she'd slam bread on top. And then, to my surprise, she'd put them in little plastic baggies and jam them in the freezer. And every morning, this is what I heard when we got ready to leave for school. Those were sandwiches hitting your lunch bag. They were so frozen. Sometimes she'd whip a cookie in there, and that's the way we lived. I'm telling you, I would go to school. Nobody traded lunch with me. You know, uh, at Christmas back then, uh, uh, you know, people would come in and feel bad and give away their pudding and stuff. They'd always give it to me. I don't remember one person in my entire life eating one of, eating one of my sandwiches. It never happened. And uh, a few years went by. No one knocked on our door. No one came by and says, Jesus Christ saves. No one, uh, you, you know, nobody opened a Bible with us. Nobody gave us a Bible verse. And I remember time went by about three years later, all of a sudden this guy showed up that my mother worked with. And I, we were kind of freaked out by that because the only man situation we had used to beat us up. But we were a little bigger now. I, you know, by seven years old, I think I was six feet tall, you know. So we thought we had a little bit of a better thing going on. And, uh, but he turned out to be a wonderful guy. And after my mother saw him on, on and off for a couple of years, she married him. And my stepfather showed me a picture of love, but he wasn't saved either. And we, we changed, I was a Roman Catholic, and I was born, how in the world a woman that was almost molested and beat up a priest that was thrown out of the convent, whose life was turned upside down, could stick with a church, I'll never know. But that's the way she was raised, that was her reality, it was all about rituals, it was, it was all about uh, these things you could go on, and, and I can remember, uh, I can remember as a kid going to the, going to confession, and and they had threw me in Catholic school for a while. I was a little bit of a behavioral problem in my life. Uh, I know none of you probably had that problem before. But they used to use terms like ADHD with me. They really didn't know what it meant. They just kept hitting me with more Benadryl back then. That's back before the good medicine came along. It's like, has he had six Benadryl yet? No, he's only up to four. Hit him with a couple more. He's still pinging. He's still pinging. And uh, I remember that. And, yeah, man, I suffered from ADHD, OCD, DUMB. I mean, I suffered from everything. You could. I mean, they would talk behavioral problems. So they threw me in Catholic school. And here's what I did. Now, in Catholic, you're the coolest guy in school if you make the, the priest give you the most rosary beads to pray. 
If you pray the most rosary beads, you're like a hero. So it got to the point where they recognized me as being the behavioral problem, the guy that needed Benadryl, and they would put me at the front of the line. And we used to, if you're not Catholic, you don't, who's the former Catholics we got out here? Oh, man, there's a whole bunch of you that had some of that training. Anyway, so they used to take me down to this booth, and you'd go inside the booth, and it was like this piece of cloth, yet you could see through it. And I would go in, and you'd hear them go, like that, you know. And I, and, and I always go, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Cause, now, the Bible says you don't work that way, but unfortunately, the Catholic Church worked that way. Uh, the Bible says there's only one who forgives sin. And, and, and if we say there's no sin in us, we're a liar. And he is not in us. And, but I can remember I used to mess with this priest, and I'd go in there and say, Father, uh, this week my sins include thinking about blowing up the church. I've considered <laughs> blowing up the building. I hate uh, Sister Mary. I, I hate Mother Superior. I hate your fellow priest. I hate the building. I hate being a Catholic. I think the Pope may be a homosexual. And I mean, I just let it go. And uh, about that time, they tried a different, they tried a different strategy on me. Uh, those of you who have behavioral problems, they tried different strategies with you. So the new strategy they tried is they made me an altar boy. Now, uh, so, but anyway, they would give me, I'd pray rosaries for the entire school. There were 300 people in my school. I prayed rosaries through 299 people. I'd still be praying. And what I did is I got to the point where I could count the prayers. So if it was 17 seconds for a prayer, I'd count 17 and move to the next one. And I'd pick on people. I'd wink at them and make faces. Anyway, I wasn't a good kid. Well, anyway, they tried a different approach. This psychologist came along and said, what you need to do with young Douglas John, they called you by your full name in Catholic Church. I didn't care for that. But anyway, so what you need to do with young Douglas John is give him, he's a leader. He's trying to get out of his body. And uh, look at how big the kid is. He eats frozen peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> give the kid a break. Give him some leadership. And, and back then, we, the only car we had, you know those cars that, you know when you have five kids and a couple adults and people visiting, there's not enough room in the car. The trunk becomes a viable option. But in the wintertime, we decided, you know that back window there? I laid in that back window until I was nine years old. So, so they, they took all that into account. The poor kid lays in the back window. He's going deaf because of the speaker right on his ear. Uh, so they made me an altar boy. They tried that different approach. And uh, so they made me an altar boy. They gave me the key to the wine room. Now, I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but you don't give your behavioral problem the key to the liquor store. And... Uh, it's a, and you can't water down red wine without people noticing it. It becomes pink. And uh, I was the happiest altar boy on God's green earth for about nine weeks. And then they realized that I no longer had a behavioral problem, but I, I had other issues that were confronting me. So I got fired from that. Needless to say, uh, high school came along, and I told my mother that I was going to go in the NFL at a major league if she had just let me go to public school with all the other kids. But I remember that. I can remember, I can remember growing, you know, I can't remember. Have you ever knocked on a door? You guys ever knock? Man, that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I, you know, after being saved, I think the greatest thing God lets us do is lead someone else to the Lord. Uh, isn't that a wonderful thing when you get to lead, especially a family member? You know, mom's in heaven. Uh, you know, she hadn't made her final vow. She was in, she's in heaven. There's a nun in heaven tonight. 
And uh, so I can remember, so life went by anyway. My sister, we had all the problems that everybody has. I mean, there were arrests, there were stolen Christmas trees, there were all kinds, you can't believe the things that went on. There were cars missing, there was uh, accusations because we had gas on our breath that we were stealing gas. It was, I, you know, there was missing milk that they'd never accounted for. There was, I pled insanity one time to picnic in in the wrong area. I mean, it was just, we were just going the wrong direction. It was still that behavioral problem. And uh, we ended up, I ended up being a pitcher in high school. And here's the cool thing. I could throw that baseball as hard as anybody. All that ADHD and stuff was wound up in me. And here's the other cool thing. If you played real well, they just gave you C's. It was automatic. They just automatically passed you. So no, no homework required if you're an athlete. And, man, I could throw that baseball, and, and it became my valve. And uh, it, it was great to hear people. And, and I, I started looking like John Lennon. I started wearing these little gold glasses. I had hair halfway down my back. I was go- and, and believe me, I wasn't trying to look like uh, Bruce Jenner or anything like that. It was a male thing. There was testosterone there, man. There was no, there's no feminine side in here, okay? Uh, but anyway, I, I can remember, I, and, and, and it came along, so we went along. And, yeah, you know, just because a guy gets some hair removed and some things going on doesn't mean he's a girl. You know, I can put an S on my chest and none of you are buying Superman, I promise you that. So, but anyway, I can remember. So about the time I got to high school, man, I could pitch the baseball. Uh, I'm telling you, God blessed me with pitching. I, play, I, I, was, I loved playing football, but I wasn't very good at it. Our team won two football games in four years of high school. But man, we had fun, you know? I mean, it, it, we had a great time. And uh, so coming out of high school, there was a bunch of people coming in those times. There was a bunch of people that wanted me to pitch for them. And uh, I was trying out for people, doing all kinds of things. To make a long story short, uh, I threw out my rotator cuff, and years later the Army fixed it, and I couldn't pitch. So I ended up trying to coach football back in 1978. Who was alive back in 1978? Who was finished with school in 1978? All right, so praise God, there's a few of us out there. You can tell us by the stuff in our hair here. I was helping. <laughs> Praise God. I like the senior chief already. Praise God. At least his hair is going naturally. These Marine guys over here, not sure why they do it. But anyway, I was helping coach football one day, and it was one of those changing moments in my life. Now, in Connecticut, probably like Wisconsin, you get this snowy, sleety, rainy. You just don't know what it is. They call it a mix. A winter, we're having a wintry mix. I mean, is that like Czechs mix? What does that mean? Well, folks, I found out what it meant that September day. I was hitchhiking down the road. Why does it happen in September? You know? And I was hitchhiking down 138, brother, coming from Jewett City, Connecticut, Griswold High School, going home, and I was so cold. You know, I didn't have enough jacket on. I mean, I was about three miles home, out of, four, out of seven, and a car turned around in the middle of the road. And I said, man, that's either a pervert or an Army recruiter. It was both. And... Uh, <laughs> He rolled down his window, and I was sitting there, and I was sitting in the, and he said, you going to walk for the rest of your life, hitchhike? I said, no, sir. He said, if I give you a ride home, will you join the Army? I said, yeah. I said, I'll join. You know, just give me a ride home. It's pretty cold out here. And so I got in the car. I was pretty easy back then. You know, I, I mean, it could have been the French Foreign Legion, and I would have joined back then. It was a cold day. So I got in the car, and I rolled up the window, and I'm sitting there like this, and he goes about 100 yards, and he locks up the brakes for effect. You know, I'm like, and he looks at me, and he said, I killed people in Vietnam. If I take you home, are you going to join the Army? I said, sir, I said, I'm 17 years old. I said, if you get my mom to sign the paperwork, I'll go up and join tomorrow. He said, so all i got to worry about is your mom? 
She said, yeah. He says, is your real father in the picture or is it just your mom? So it's just my mom. She said, oh, no, no problem there. Right? So he puts, puts the car in drive, and we start flying home. I took the Marine Corps recruiter home. My mother kicked him out. A Navy guy drove by my house, and the mother called the cops. All right? Couldn't find my Social Security card. Couldn't find my birth certificate. Everything was covered. There was no problems when I got home that night. So I get home that night, and I, you know, this guy gets out of the car. He puts his Class A jacket on, slaps on some brute, looks in the mirror, combs his hair, and I knock on the door, and I say, Mom! We have company. The Army recruiter's here. I remember it just as if it was today. I can smell the coffee brewing. I can, I, I can sense it just as it was today. And my mother came out, and she looked at him. He goes, hold it right there. He told my mother. My mother stops. She's got a cup of coffee there. She probably had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth for all I know. And she stops. She looks at him, and he says, I can see where your son gets all his good looks. <laughs> he says, you are a striking lady. He says, I'm so glad that it worked. She, I, I, I begged her for that birth certificate and social security card. She said she didn't know where it is. Five minutes later, they're out drinking coffee. They're joking out there. They're laughing. She told, she's out there telling them I would have been a model had I not been a nun. He said, I could tell you were a religious lady. I was getting sick. And then she, he said, all I need is a social security card and a birth certificate, and I'll take young Douglas with me. All he's doing is hitchhiking up and down the road. He's not doing anything with his life. She says, I know. I'm kind of disappointed by him. And, uh, and I'm sitting on a couch, and my stepfather comes home in the meantime, and he's going, ah, ah. And, I, and she put me in the car. She found everything. She found clothes for me. She found the birth certificate. She found a social security card. And I'm like, Ma, don't find a social security card. I can't go without the social security card. I'm winking at her and stuff. Don't find the social security card. I was in the car. So they take me to MEP station. You know the rest of the story. You go up to, back then it was called APHES, Army and Air Force Examination Entrance Station. Now the first thing they do is give you an ASVAB test. Back then they called it something else, but Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. Now, it's important that you do well on this test because if you don't, you have to go into Marine Corps. So you want to really <laughs> work on that. So, so I got there that night, and I, I, took, that, uh, I took that ASFAB test. And, and, uh, and then, then the next, so the next day, they take you over to the MEP station, and you know, you're in process, and the first thing they do is give you a drug and alcohol test. If you fail that, you have to go in the Navy, praise God. And, and then you get on the hall, and you you got to lift 100 pounds over your head, and if you can't lift that, you got to go in the Air Force. But anyway, I got, I, I got all through all that. i got more Air Force stuff later. Don't worry about that. I got all through that stuff. Make a long story short, I end up in the Army. I'm 17 years old, have hair down the hair, have gold glasses. I met a guy in the airport who was mad. He was very angry. I didn't, know, I didn't know why everybody was so mad. They give you this folder, and I mean it was a telltale folder. It was inside this manila envelope. It was about, does anybody remember those manila envelopes? With a, oh, yeah, brother. And they had this string that wrapped around them. Well, I land in St. Louis from Hartford, Connecticut. You guys have been there, right? Those of you who've been in the Army, you know what I mean. So I get in St. Louis, and, man, I had to use the restroom. Those small restrooms in the plane are not built for people who are six foot four inches tall. And my hair was real long. It stuck up against the wall. These women go through tough stuff with their hair. I mean, I had split ends. I mean, everything was bad, you know? And my brother told me, whatever you do, don't cut your hair. They're really going to like it at basic training. So I land in St. Louis, and we, we get off the plane. And, and all of a sudden, I see a guy. He's about this big, and he's, he's wearing like E3 stripes. He's a private first class in the Army. And he looks at me and says, hey, stupid, come here. Get over there. Get your back. And he's screaming at me. 
And I'm like, hey, I want to go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom when I say you can go. If I don't say you go, you go in your pants. And then he's yelling at other people with folders like, hey, dummy, come here. And, and man, if you happen to have a manila folder and you weren't going to the Army, you were going to Fort Leonard Wood anyway. And, uh, and there were a load of people, and they bring us down to the luggage area, and the greatest thing on God's green earth happened. A guy dropped his coat. He went, smash, and he had a manila folder, and we jetted for the bathroom, man. We took, and he's over there screaming, what's wrong with you? Drop it a coat. That coat costs money. You're not going to waste army money. And he's screaming. We could hear him screaming in the restroom and gave us a break. We get on the bus. He gave me the front seat. I said, man, I'm the nice. This guy is the nicest guy I've met. Let me sit up front. I've got a beautiful view. We're driving for a couple hours. I mean, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to show up at Fort Leonard Wood. And then I met more mad people. We show up at the gate, right? Everybody was mad in the army. We get this MP, and this MP comes on the bus and says, You're all a bunch of degenerates. I don't know why they're letting you in the army. Do any of you idiots have guns? Do you have joints? Do you have glue? And he's just naming these things. And we're all sitting there looking at him. He looks at me and says, You need a haircut. He kind of walked through the bus. He's having everybody hold it up in the middle of the folder. He says, You're ugly. You're stupid. Shut up. You're ugly. You're stupid. Ugly, ugly, ugly. He said, Oh, my. He said, did you have facial surgery? Anyway, so they, we, we finally get by this guy. And I said, man, well, now we're meeting some nice people. And it's like one in the morning at this point. And all of a sudden, I see this guy wearing a drill sergeant hat. And he's doing one of these numbers. He's out in the parking lot doing one of these. At one in the morning. And I said, that guy's got ADHD, too. I said, I said we're going to get along good. So the bus pulls up to him. And the strangest thing happened I've ever seen in my life. The driver turns around and looks at him and said, he's right here. And he pointed at me. And I said, man, he must have picked me out for my great attitude. The way I'm holding my folder, perhaps it's my John Lennon glasses. And the drill sergeant came on the bus and said, sweetheart, get off the bus. And he's got me doing push-ups. He's screaming at me. And he's randomly hopping on the bus and getting other people to join me. And I said, man, everybody's mad here. And so finally we end up in the chow hall. And I can't do any more push-ups. We get in the chow hall, and we met the person that perhaps was the most angry person of the entire night. The guy came out and said, it's 1.17 a.m. in the morning. I don't know where you are, but I should be home. You're all a bunch of morons. I got food up here. When that food hits your plate, I don't care if you're allergic. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care what. You're going to take it, and you're going to eat every drop. Anyone got a problem? And then he goes, shut up, get in line. And I mean, he's just slamming food. You're gonna, it was like my sister. I, all I could think about was peanut butter and jelly sugar. <laughs> and we sat down, and we ate like two bites. And this drill sergeant comes walking in and starts screaming at us. Finally, we end up in the barracks. What a surprise it is to be in the barracks at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Folks, they had no dividers between the toilets. There was mirrors everywhere. There were sinks. It was one of the most humiliating days of my life. There was a guy running around the barracks who thought he was Jesus. And he was blessing people, even people on the potty. And, uh, and we were trying to hide from Jesus. And, uh, and he was a Catholic Jesus. He'd come up to you and go, I don't know what he was doing, but he was speaking in Latin or something. And he, was, he had some holy water, and, and it just got bad. And we're all trying to go to sleep. It's 4 in the morning. We had to get our haircuts. We had to get uniforms. And I had this guy, his name was Anderson from Kansas City. We started talking. I said, I don't know about you. The drill sergeants freaked me out. The cook's got a problem. I think someone's going to kill us. But Jesus has something wrong with him. And he's, and he's in our barracks. And I, I don't want to be with Jesus anymore. And uh, so finally Jesus came over and started blessing us again and talking about the Trinity. And he was throwing water at us. And 
all kinds of stuff. And I said, Jesus, you're freaking me out. you got to go. I said, I can't use the bathroom. Everybody's waiting for the middle of the night to use the bathroom. Everybody's worried about you, Jesus. Everybody's tired. I found out my hair's too long. No one likes my glasses. They think I'm a pothead. I can't take it anymore. Stop praying. I can't take it. Finally, I, he finally they kicked him out of the army. But the next day, they make everybody the same. Boy, isn't that what God does at the bottom of the cross? Makes everybody sick. But anyway, they take us, and the army's nothing like God, but they take you down there. First thing they do is take you to get a haircut. They pick the two freaks out of the whole group to cut their hair first. I was one. Jesus was the other. Now, they take us in there, and both of us, ADHD people, they put us both in a chair. This guy smoked. I mean, there's little flames burning into your head and stuff. Back then, everybody smoked. You could say, I don't like smoke. They'd like two of them. And they blow it in your face. They smoked on planes. They smoked everywhere. And uh, so anyway, I'm sitting on the chair, and they shaved half of my head exactly. They shaved the complete opposite of Jesus' head completely. And they said, go to the door and wave to everybody. And they laughed. And, you know, they humiliated Jesus and I. Here we are standing there, and we're waving to people. They're taking pictures for the basic training yearbook, and we're waving. But something happened to Jesus. He was holding his head. He was acting real strong. I was laughing. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Can I go to the back of the line and let more people see me? They're like, shut up and sit down. And so anyway, they shaved. But anyway, Anderson and I became best friends. Time went by. They kicked Jesus out. And uh, I heard he became chief of staff of the Air Force, but I'm not sure. And uh, he joined you. Well... Anyway, we ended up, because I, I was going to say Navy, but we've got a Navy guy here. But anyway, so we ended up, and uh, we went through basic training. We went through AIT. All of a sudden, we show up at a unit. People at the unit aren't as mad at you as everybody else. They treat you with a little bit of respect and stuff. And I remember we had guard duty one night, and uh, we were at guard duty one night. And I remember while we were out there on guard duty, uh, and, and now guard duty in the military is a funny thing. And if you're tall, it's real ugly. You have to wear a uniform, and it has to be absolutely perfect. And you would walk out there, so you, you would paint your shoes with future floral wax. You wore your uniform, and you'd walk like this so there would get no wrinkles. And your buddy would help you get up on a mountain. You'd try to get picked as the best-looking troop so you could go back to the room and go to sleep. They never picked the tall guy. So I end, up out, uh, I end up out at the post office. My buddy ends up, Anderson ends up somewhere else. Middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, my life changed. Two o'clock in the morning, I hear screaming. Anderson was on drugs. I'll tell you more about that story later. They got thrown him out of the army, just ripping his face up. Years went by. I married Debbie. Debbie and I were Catholic. She was more Catholic than I was. We ended up at the United States Army Sergeant Majors. Man, I went to every kind of denominational church you could shake a stick at. Man, I went to churches. That, I went to one church that had 11 drum sets. 11. Man, I went in there. I thought Led Zeppelin was playing that day. I mean, we were cruising around and jumping and dancing and hollering and man we were having a good time and then this guy in front of me strokes out and unless that happens to you at church you just don't know what i'm talking about this guy went down he slammed off the floor he was in convulsions his tongue looked kind of weird so i slammed down on the floor i screamed medic i stopped punching his chest i trying to clear his earway and he was only slain in the spirit so that religion didn't work out for me and uh so Debbie. They were pretty mad at me. That old boy was slain. He never got slain again, I promise you that. They took him away and took him to the hospital. And, uh, but years went by, and Debbie and I ended up with, I mean, I was an Episcopalian deacon. I was this. People would throw drops at me. They, my son was in charge of carrying the incense 
when he was like a year and a half old, they carried the incense, and they had the Archbishops of Canterbury there for the Episcopalian Church. And I wish you could see Doug today. He was spinning those incense, and they had little holes in them, and they were taking people out. It was a beautiful thing, man. I mean, people are hitting the floor, and, and I'm hiding, and they're yelling at me, go stop your son. I said, those incense burned. He said, yeah, but he just burned three of our members. I said, well, I'll get to see what hell's like. And, but anyway... So I got up there after they finally come, finally one hero got dug on the floor and got it away from him. It was only a year and a half. It freaked him out. But well, anyway, we had to go up there and we had to kiss the ring of the Archbishop of Canterbury, the head of the Church of England. And I went up there and kissed the ring. And you know what it did for me? It gave me the worst cold I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I went up there and kissed the ring and he said, you be healed, my son. You be well. Serve good. You still got the beer in the back of your car? I said, yes, sir. We'll meet you out there. That's a true story. I used to be in charge of the beer at Fort uh, Benning. I used to carry it in the back of my pick. You can ask Debbie. But I never knew Christ. I never knew. But I showed up to Sergeant Major's Academy, and everything changed. There was a guy in my class, if you're old enough to remember, who looked like Flip Wilson. This guy smiled so wide, he had extra teeth in his mouth. I mean, he was, he was always, everybody hated each other. Five o'clock in the morning, we were going in doing physical training. The only cool thing about it is they gave me the gun, gun to kill the roadrunners and stuff that were aggressive. Every day there was an aggressive roadrunner, brother. I don't know how it happened that way, but every day there was a snake. It's just they'd say, Carragher's got the gun again. We'd be running through the middle of the woods up there at Fort Bush, and bang, bang, and I'd be shooting at him, and I got me some roadrunners. But anyway, we, this one guy was different. And folks, if you're going to make a difference in people's life, you've got to be different. This guy was the only guy in our class that was happy. This guy was the only guy in our class that was different. This guy was, you know what he told me one day? People were fighting. People were watching the door. And I used to have to break people up. When you're the biggest person in the class, they expect you to break people up and stuff. And I couldn't take it. And one day, Willie was sitting there smiling and said, oh, you fellas, stop it. God loves you. And he just, and so I said to him, I stopped the whole class. And I said, Willie, I said, why are you so happy? And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, because if I died right now, I'd know for sure I was going to heaven. He said, I'm going to heaven, Brother Doug. He said, this is all a game down here. He said, this stuff really don't matter. He says, you guys are taking this way too personally. I never forgot that. And he just splashed me a big smile. And I said, man, this guy's a freak, you know. So the next day, we have a PT test. Now, for those of you who are Air Force and Navy people and stuff, PT is physical training. It's where they actually do push-ups and... But anyway, we had a PT test. I'm sorry, Brother Abbott. You're going to love me by the end of the week, I promise. All right. The one Navy guy we have. But listen, so we go and we do push-ups. Now, when you do push-ups at a school like this, it's pretty important that you do a good job. So what you end up doing is going down and looking at the guy and making sure he's happy with the push-up, and you're just trying to get through it. So they set us up to do our push-ups, and we're all out there banging out push-ups. And someone came up to me, and they said, hey, Doug, did you hear about Willie? And I said, what's wrong with Willie? Now, folks, we're at the Sergeant Majors Academy. Nobody fails a PT test at Sergeant Majors Academy. They give you a PT test at your company. They give you a PT test at your battalion. They give you a PT test at your brigade. They give you a PT test at your division. They give you a PT test at your headquarters. They give you a PT test because someone walks by you. They, they, they're not going to let you go and fail because it goes against the company. And they said, Willie failed his push-ups. And I said, no, he didn't fail his push-ups. How can you fail your push-ups, man? I was scratching my head and doing one-arm push-ups for the first minute. I mean, this is the Sergeant Major's Academy. He said, I don't know. He looks kind of weak. 
So then we did our sit-ups. And then in typical Army way, they have you run two miles as fast as you can. And, you know, we had three or four Marines in the Sergeant Majors Academy. They're out there, oh, no, making all kinds of noise. And we're like, shut up, man. We're trying to get into the moment. You know, we're trying to get the vibes. And you guys, and I beat all of them but one, praise God. I was an old fat guy. But anyway, we, we had to walk about a mile to the run because that's how the Army does things sometimes. They do stupid stuff like that. And Willie came up to me, and I was walking next to Willie Vernon Watson, the guy who changed my life. And I said, Willie, I said, I know you failed your push-ups, and I know they're going to try to throw you out of the Sergeant Majors Academy, and eventually you're going to get thrown out of the Army and made to retire. And I know you worked for this your whole life, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lie and tell them they graded you unfairly. And he said something to me that I never forgot. He said, Christians don't lie. He said, brother, I just don't feel good. And we went down, and we took the two-mile run, and I mean, I was out there. Someone told me if you eat a candy bar... Uh, you're going to have more energy than you ever had. Someone said, if you drink a half a cup of coffee, you're going to run because we're eight miles high or something. You know, it's way up high in El Paso. People shouldn't live that high, you know. And uh, another guy told me, if you take a few aspirin, your blood's going to pump better than it. So I did all of it. They were right. I ran fast. I had to get to the restroom, man. It was ugly out there. I was, I was running like crazy out there. I came in in like 12 minutes and something. I'm like, where's the portal body? And they're like, right there. You took the aspirin, ate the candy bar, drank the coffee. I said, yeah. Ah. We tell that to everybody. And, uh, and uh, so, so I got in there and they said, it worked on you. I'm like, yeah, just show me the portal body. Well, anyway, about five minutes later, Willie came in and he really wasn't feeling good. And I had a glass of water, and I got a glass of water for Willie. We had these special forces guys. Ten people out of our base group were special forces out of 17, out of the 466. They put them all together because other people can't handle them. So they put equally crazy people with them because they would threaten to stab you and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so you had to be all messed up as a kid so you could deal with that. Like, they threatened to stab me. I'm like, hey, I've had better, you know. Get away from me. Well, anyway... We come in, Willie comes in from the run, and he's a little bit messed up looking. I get him a glass of water. I say, I'm going to go find that snake eater. He was the head snake eater. He was the highest ranking one. He's the guy you see smelling the envelope on all those pictures from Iraq, where he's smelling the envelope and kissing with the glasses. He was in Dave Bedford. Anyway, Dave, uh, so Dave and I, uh, uh, so I said, I'm going to go find Dave, and I'm going to tell him he's a snake eater, and I, I maxed the PT test, too. And Willie started laughing, and he slammed off the ground. And I did what all of you would do when a brother slams off the ground. I kicked him and said, get up, man. I'm too tired for this. We've got to go back over to the gym. And we had a Navy guy in the gym. And everybody, this Navy guy, he called himself Louise. His name was Louis. He was a Navy SEAL. The guy had shoulders that wide. And he used to go in the shower and go, Louise is here. I said, we've got to beat Louise back there. I can't stand that guy, man. By the way, and, uh, so we were laughing our heads off. And Willie slammed off the ground. And he wouldn't get up, and I kicked him a couple times. So I flipped him over. When I flipped him over, his eyes were open. He had sand on his eyes. He had a cut on his lip. And immediately, what do you do, men, ladies? Pulse. There was a little bit of a pulse. Clear the airway. No air coming out. You're done in like three seconds. All that stuff trained you just came out immediately. I screamed medic as loud as I could. I got down. I cocked his head back. And I started giving him mouth to mouth. And every time I gave him a breath of life, his blood pumped into my mouth. And uh, he wouldn't start breathing. And I punched him, and I'm trying to give him compressions, and I'm tired. The medics were only from here to this end of this, the other side of the parking lot away, and they're coming. And a guy showed up, and he said, I'm a nurse. I'll take over the compressions. He started counting for me. And there was blood all down in front of me, and I was crying and screaming, God, why would the only person who knows you that I've ever met my entire life that's willing to share him die? And uh, they came along, and they tubed him, and they bagged him, and he died. He died left ventricular artery blew off the side of his heart. It was a birth defect. And this guy had been in the Army all those years. And here's the father of a son, Willie Vernon Watson, Jr. 
uh, who's a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army today, and uh, a wife, and a wonderful man, and a Christian, and they took him away in an ambulance. My life was different that day, and this guy pulled up. I had blood all over me. This guy pulled up. First guy in my life that ever prayed for me pulled up. I didn't know him very well. I'd seen him around. His name was Glenn. He said, Carragher, get in. Let's change T-shirts. We're about the same size. He's got blood all over your T-shirts. He says, everybody's looking for you. The cops are looking for you. You've got to give a statement. So I put his T-shirt on. He stopped the car. He said, before you go back there, he said, let's, let's call down God. He put his car in park, and he put his arm around me. He started crying. Tears were coming out of his eyes, and he said, Dear God, I don't know why he took Willie today. I don't know why Willie died. I don't know why Doug had to be there. I don't know why all this is going on. But I beg you, Lord, if Doug's not saved, that you'd save him. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use this for your glory. And I pray, Lord, that somehow our class would recover from this. And then he just drove away. And he took me over, and he dropped me off with the MPs, and my head's reeling, and he's, uh, he's got my T-shirt. I got his T-shirt, and the MPs are asking me questions, and... Then they said, someone's got to go with the body. And I went over the body and identified it along with the commander. And people are crying. And, and, you know, even the people over there are saying he's too young and everything that's going on. We brought him to the morgue. Something good happened that day. We had a service, a memorial service there at Sergeant Major's Academy. And this chaplain got up and preached about gravestones and sand blowing off of gravestones and wearing out the letters. And he said, it's terrible that sand wears out letters on gravestones. And that was it. Then when he got all done and people left, we stood there and guarded Willie's chair. You know, they had to call. You know, the, you know it. Carrier, here for a sergeant. We go through it. And Watson, Watson, Watson. This old boy stands up and does a 21-gun salute. And uh, people are weeping. And then my class leader came up to me and said, Doug, here's a chaplain. I want to talk to you. I said, the guy's a nut. He talks about gravestones. He said, no, this is a real chaplain. He said, sit down. And he, says, he said, Doug, is there anything I can answer for you? Chaplain Kennedy. Lieutenant Colonel in the Army, chaplain. I said, you can tell me why Willie died and no one else. Willie was the best guy in our class. He says, I can't tell you that. He says, I can't tell you that, Doug. He says, well, he says, what do you think Willie is? I said, Willie's in heaven. He says, can you, you think if you died, you'd go to heaven? I said, would you be sure you'd go to heaven? I said, nobody can be sure. He opened his Bible that day and he read that verse. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. He told me that day, he said, you know, the problem this world has is sin. He said, you know what the Bible says? There are none righteous, no, not one. He says, everybody in the world is a sinner. And he says, you know, sin's a problem. Sin is our problem, isn't it? You know, this Bible shows one problem, sin. It's the problem. It's got one hero, Jesus. You guys know the deal. And uh, he told me, he said, there's a problem with sin, and the Bible says, have you seen it? What does it say in Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death. Then he sat there and he told me, but there's great news for you, Doug. And he showed me Romans 5.8. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us. Remember that in uh, uh, Chow Hall today? But God commendeth his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But then he said, Doug, you can know those things and still go to hell because God gives us some orders. And those orders say you must speak it with your mouth and believe it with your heart. And we opened up to Romans 10, 9, and 10. And I started talking about the mouth. Uh, we can say anything with the mouth, can't we? But the heart speaketh unto righteousness. You know what, folks? We can say any prayer, any time. You could have said a prayer when you were five years old or six years old to make your Sunday school teacher happy, to make your pastor happy, to make your folks happy. But I hope it was in your heart. That day my heart got right. I changed direction. Everything changed. I spoke it with my mouth, and I believed it with my heart. 
And I got on my knees and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. Folks, would you stand with me this morning?